The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. I love Ross's skip idea. I do. And I tell you, it'll work too. If you need to, you need to nail it down, Ross, and do something with it because something we discovered at Coogan Towers over the last while when we'd have a couple of skips in and out as we had doing some work in the house last year. A couple of skips in and out. <laughs> one, one idea we had one night. The skip was really full, right? Really full and we needed to get more into it. So what we did is we took stuff out of it. Now, you wouldn't believe the old tat we took out of it and put it down around the skip with a sign free to take away. It was all gone the following day. People will take the greatest crap out of a skip and use it for themselves. So there's a great idea there what Ross has. Good morning, Monday morning, 1850-715-996, the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email is opinion at 96fm.ie. I don't plan to overly focus on the numbers this morning, Tuesday and Friday our numbers day, save to say that while the national numbers last night were very worrying indeed heading back up over 700 here in Cork, we are still holding our own still holding our own very well in fact we've got a five day moving average now is one of the lowest it's been for months and months and months, despite the fact that we have things like that gathering at Bell's Field over the weekend and crowds of youngsters all over the place. Particularly, it's youngsters mostly around the place over the weekend and back to Paddy's Day and you saw those videos from the lock and all of that. So we're holding our own in Cork despite that. But it got really out of hand over the weekend up at Bell's Field. Bell's Field, I'd say no one kind of knew what Bell's Field was except for locals until it was immortalised in the Young Offenders. But now everybody knows uh, Bell's Field, and it draws huge crowds in the sunshine. Lord Mayor Joe Cavanagh, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How it, are you? Good, sir. It got out of hand at the weekend. Yeah, PJ, it, it's, it's been um, a, li- a bit of a problem uh, bubbling over for, for quite some time now, and I, I, I've been working very closely uh, with the residents up there. Um, I live close by myself, yeah. um, so I'm well aware of it, and uh, our local Tidy Towns group goes up there periodically doing cleanups and so on. But look, I had a call on Saturday from a very distressed resident. And look, I know there was, I knew there were crowds gathering uh, around the city and so on. I mean, this is with the good weather coming, the pent up frustration amongst young people. Um, you know, it's, it's something that was going to happen anyway. But look, the residents were very distressed on Saturday. So uh, I, I liaised with uh, the Gardaí, who in fairness couldn't have been more responsive. They were absolutely magnificent, mm. I have to say. The community guards and the Gardaí in general, I spoke to the chief super and he was so helpful. And, um, you know, they, they really reacted. Now, I, I got into the car myself and I went up um, around eight o'clockish, around that time, and uh, because I believe it had escalated at that stage, and I went up and uh, I had a call earlier saying that the guards had been there at around seven o'clock, and there was a small crowd there which they dispersed. Mm. But when I went up at eight o'clock, the guards were in the process; they just dispersed, the, uh, and the guards. This is coming from a guard. Uh, there were two guardy up there and in fairness I have to say there was one guard from Watercourse Road I'm not going to give their names one from Watercourse Road one from the Mayfield Station the two of them dispersed as he said between 100 and 150 he said it was akin to a music festival 
Um, there was loud music playing. Um, there were you no know, the residents were in fear because there was bottles and cans being thrown up onto the road as well. Yeah. Look, this is a very quiet. This is a beautiful area, the city, as you know yourself, PJ. You're you're only a couple of hundred yards away from yes. where you're sitting now, and it's an area that's used. It's an iconic part of the city, and. You know, TV stations use it, photographers use it. Right. There's product launches done on the green area there. And it's an awful shame. It's one of those so, views. It's one of those scenes that uh, yeah. kind of picture postcard that encapsulates Cork, Joe. But just yeah. getting back to the the gathering, like, is it a kind of a time of year thing? Or, or is this a kickback at restrictions? Which is it, do you think? Combination of both, I say, PJ. You've hit the nail on the head. It is exactly a combination of both. We're co- next Sunday night, the, the hour is going forward. It'll be a, it'll be brighter, uh, you know, an hour longer sort of thing. We're coming into long evenings, good weather. Uh, youngsters have nowhere to go. You saw the queue on social media outside uh, one of our pubs uh, selling give takeaway pints mm. on Saturday night. Um, you know, that's a sign of pent up frustration. Look, my my heart goes out to young people. Young people need, you know, it's a rite of passage for young people to go out and socialise and so on, but they have to do it the right way. And, you know, a a resident came across to me on Saturday evening and he played a recording on the phone. It was like something you'd hear at a soccer match or at at some sort of a match, you know, chanting and so on. This is outside the window and apparently the guardie, I was watching the guardie chasing them off the green. Now, they, they go off the green, right? And then they'd run down Richmond Hill. But they come back up the hill and back up Patrick's Hill and wait for the guards to come around. And it was like a game of chase. Yeah. Um, yeah. They also, um, I, I saw them, one resident complained to me that they also, uh, a couple of teenagers uh, went to the window of residents uh, shouting and roaring at them. I, I did see them crossing the road towards the house, but I didn't see what, was, I didn't hear what was said or whatever. Mm. But look, the residents see, up there... See, it's one thing, it's one thing to thing. gather in a field. People will do that. You put a sun, you put you put a field, like Bell's Field, a lovely view, beautiful sunshine, yeah. you do all... People will gather. That's just, that's just what's going to happen. But there's a line between people gathering and locals who actually live there being afraid to leave their houses. That, that was very much the case on uh, Saturday night, and um, you know you've also you've got the fear factor, the intimidation factor from locals. They're not used to this kind of thing, to be quite frank and honest. Which is, it's a very very settled area. Uh, secondly, you've got the the area is completely littered. And at this point, I want to pay tribute to Cork City Council litter maintenance team came up on Sunday and cleaned the place up. It was in a terrible state. I sent in photographs. You saw the photographs on my post. Uh, there was freely bins taken from some from somebody's house outside somebody's house, and they just literally set it alight yeah. and stood around it, chanting and drinking. Um, so this kind of carry on. And like, I don't care how bored you are. I don't care how how much pent up frustration you have. There's no justification for what you just described, Lord Mayor. None. Well, there isn't. There isn't. There isn't. Of course, there isn't. And look. As well as that, PJ, and it's something, in fairness, that you and your team have been have been um, articulating in recent months. Large gatherings are a no-no at the moment. Yeah. Um, we have, and, and in fairness to people in Cork, the resilience and fortitude of people in Cork in keeping the numbers down. We had 18 new cases yesterday, mm-hmm. which was absolutely fantastic. And you know, when we, when we mention that, we should never forget, Lord Mayor, that's 18 cases in a population of half a million people. In the city and county. Absolutely. We're doing so, so well. And it's not, we're not getting the proper reflection in the national figure. But we're doing so, so well in Cork. 18 cases in half a million people. 
Yeah, 769 nationally and 18 cases in Cork. And, and that shows you what the people of Cork are capable of doing. And I really feel that what we should be doing in restrictions, uh, or when, when the restrictions are eased, yeah. Uh, in a couple of weeks' time, and the government, I hope, will give something back. I, I really feel that the the, um, the 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 area that people can travel outside has to be extended. So give people a bit of freedom mm. to get outside. I think if your numbers are suitable, if your numbers if your numbers suit, there are certain parts of, yeah. of the country where you cannot afford to lift the five k right now. But in Cork, oh, yeah. Kerry, Kilkenny, places like Leach, places like you could quite easily let people travel the rest of the county. Well, look, the, 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 the medical experts uh, in conjunction with the, like the politicians, in fairness, will make a political statement. I'm a politician, but I'm not a medical expert in any shape or form. And I will accept whatever advice is given by the people who know what they're talking about. Yes. And in fairness, the medical experts, they're going to come out and they're going to say, OK, uh, we feel it's medically safe to extend it to travel within your county or travel within a 20 kilometre radius or so on and open up um, sporting uh, facilities for small kids. Let yeah. kids get out and run off their frustrations, yeah. whatever the case may be. Let's, let's be know. led and said by the public health doctors, exactly. exactly. In, in, in a safe way, PJ, yeah. because there, is, there are ways to do it. And talking to a professional in the sporting side of things, uh, what they were saying to me, we, we train them in little bubbles. Yeah. Um, sort of thing. So we can manage, you know, what, what, you know, uh, uh, the spread, a potential spread yeah. of anything like that. But what went on in Bell's Field over the weekend, in fairness, uh, the Gardaí are going to have to, uh, we're going to have to sit down with the Gardaí. And in fairness to the Guards, and I can't speak highly enough about the Gardaí, I, I, I go back to my original I could, point. I would, I would echo you there, future. but I think the system they're working with, Lord Mayor, the system, the, the guard, the individual guard on the ground is, has, has a really difficult job to do. But but the system they're working with, which is so light touch, it's laughable. It must be impossible to do your job in that in, in that context. It, it is so difficult, and coupled with the fact, PJ and I was shouting and roaring about it last week. The guardie are not vaccinators, yeah. and when a guardie gets into his car and he goes out to a call, he doesn't he or she doesn't know what to go and walk into. They they sh- they're on, they're very much on the front line. They're more so on the front line than most because their environment is 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 very much an un- uncontrolled environment. What they walk into places like Bellfield and into places like that and various situations that they're called for assistance around the city on a daily basis and 24-7. The Gardaí, in my opinion, have to be prioritised in terms of vaccination. Yeah, and, and what happened at the weekend shows shows that, absolutely. Thanks very much, Lord Mayor Joe Cavan. I appreciate you being on the Opinion Line this Monday morning. Thank you. 1857 Now, I made that point at the weekend. I was just talking about this. The, the, the enforcement thing that we have with the guards sending them out with this four E's I don't even know what the four E's stand for anymore I've long since forgotten it's a light touch thing so you send a couple of guards very well intentioned hard working guards into a huge group of, of people and you have to talk to them and explain to them and educate them and at the very last opportunity you enforce it it's too light touch altogether. Way too light touch. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Councillor John Maher was also tweeting this morning. Not just Bellsfield, but Mayfield, Ballyvalan, all had antisocial behaviour at the weekend. Where are the parents? Says Councillor Maher. How many arrests and fines? We need more guardy and more parental and personal responsibility. And also, um, uh, there was a report last night from Toker. We got a report this morning, Matthew Hill area. Guys with bats attacking a young fella. A resident called 999 and it took 90 minutes for guards to come. 
That's a long, long time. I can't see that tweet, lads. It's not opening for me. But we had uh, a lot of commentary about about antisocial behaviour in the city at the weekend. Just gatherings and groups and gangs just hanging around in in the city at the weekend. It's not good enough, you know. I think it's ridiculous to open a county, says this call. It needs to be a radius. I can travel 140 kilometres to Iree's under a system like that, but I can't go to the next town because it's in County Limerick. Well, no matter what way you do it, caller, someone's going to have a problem, but I see your point. Kate says open up FOTA when people have the space to roam around. It would help FOTA as well. Can you highlight the road bowlers? Oh, I've heard about these. I've not seen them because I'm not travelling. But can you please highlight the road bowlers that keep breaking COVID-19 lockdown rule down, rules on Sundays all day? They've no regard for themselves. There isn't a mask to be seen among them or for the local people in the area. They come out to get rid of them, but should they just come back after the guards are gone? No wonder the numbers are going in the wrong direction. I had heard that, but I've no, I had no evidence of it that there was still road bowling going on, scores out in the middle of the country. And it's not the fact of hurling the bowl along the road. That's, that's not the problem. It's the gatherings at each end and each stage. Big gatherings of people, which, of course, you can't do. So you shouldn't be road bowling. You can't hurl. You can't play football. You know, there's only a very, very few. You can't play golf. Can't play tennis. Can't do any of these things. But you can go out road bowling. If you think that you're entitled to go out road bowling, you can go out road bowling. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. The numbers we will analyse in more detail tomorrow, because I want to study whether this regional idea would work. Anthony Staines said it months ago, and so too did Tomás Ryan and and many others. Eva McLeish said again over the weekend. They're saying the regional easing of restrictions so that your numbers are suitably low, your community transmission is suitably low, that you can have more freedoms if you want than people say in Dublin, awfully, the country like that. That's fine. That's a brilliant idea. I love that idea. But what is to stop carloads of characters from Dublin heading down the M7 and M8 to the places where the numbers are way low and everything is open? There's your problem with the regional easing of restrictions. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. The Takeover. On Cork's 96FM. Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire off. The takeover. You pick what we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Story. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 96969696 96 96 96. on Court's 96FM. Thank you to Mags who reminds me that it is Engage, Explain, Encourage, Enforce. Engage, Explain, Encourage, Enforce. 
are the four E's. And I'm kind of thinking the first three there are about as much use as a chocolate fire guard if you're trying to talk to some fella who's plastered of a sunny evening from swinging cans since about three o'clock that day and he's standing next to you sort of wavering from one foot to the other and you're trying to explain, engage, encourage, she might as well be talking to a stone wall. We need a bit more enforcement and a little less, a little less explanation, methinks. 1850-715-996, I'm sure the Civil Liberties Brigade will be given out. I don't care. This was great news on Friday for Chase Cork Harbour Alliance for a Safe Environment. This case is still going through the courts. And this is the case against uh, the proposed incinerator for Ring of Skiddy. It's been going on now since the 90s. And it had another chapter in the court on Friday and a very positive chapter for the objectors for Chase. Linda Fitzpatrick joins me. Linda, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. This is going on so long that when somebody eventually writes the book, it'll it'll have several volumes. But what's happened now, as it were? Well, we've been waiting um, for the outcome of our March 2019 um, High Court appeal, and we got that on Friday, and it was good news. Um, basically, the judge um, agreed with two of our grounds, and. Um, we were thrilled to hear that. We couldn't believe it. Um, the two grounds that he appeared with, one was a very technical point where um, there had been um, an application put in with two different names um, for the same ent- entity. One would have been the end of our Belgium um, entity and the other was the end of our Ireland entity. So that ground was upheld and the other was an absolutely enormous ground. Um, it was the ground of objective bias, um, where the judge held that uh, the board's decision was affected by objective bias by reason of the prior involvement of one of its members, who was the then deputy chairperson of the board um, in work which he did in 2004 for a firm of consultants um, who were engaged by Indivar to make submissions to Cork County Council and Cork City Council to review mm-hmm. the waste management plans, which in simple terms means that you had the same signature advocating for Indivar to Cork County Council and Cork City Council in 2004 as you did signing off the planning grant um, back in 2018. And uh, the judge obviously looked at that and said that's out of order. Now, as we speak, I understand, Linda, the planning permission still holds. It's still it's still there. But I think your counsel now, Dave Holland, who's been with you for years, is yeah. he taking it back into court now to try and get the permission quashed following these findings? Um, the permission doesn't actually still stand. Oh, the permission does doesn't stand, but the application does. Um, right. So while the permission isn't in existence anymore, um, the application is still live, and that's what's going back into court on the 13th of April. Um, all parties are expected to have looked um, at the judge's um, delivery, and then they go back into court, and he will probably set a date for another um, hearing as to we will be arguing why the application should be thrown out altogether. Yeah. But it's very much within the remit of the judge to say that he's going to put the application back to whatever stage he decides. Um, and that's normal enough nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it would go back into Barb Panola for be remitted for reconsideration. So we we really don't know what's going to happen. So um, there's, no, there's no end in sight even yet, Linda? Um, well... There isn't. There isn't. Uh, this, this is a massive step in the right direction. Without yeah. it, we'd be we'd be in trouble. 
Um, but no, the end, it's not over yet. But it's a huge, huge win, you know. Oh, yeah. No, no, I read it Friday evening. I said, my God, that's fantastic for them. Yeah. That's fantastic for them. But, but, uh, but as, can, can as, as we know, and I've spoken to John Ahern many times from Endeavour yeah. to get their side of the story. But I mean, yeah. as, as we know with, with Endeavour, ever since this began, I've almost forgotten when it started now, Linda. But ever since this began, Endeavour have always come back and tried again Absolutely. and appealed again and applied again. So yeah. realistically, whatever seems to happen in the courts that you know, comes down on your side of the argument. They always come back and try again. Are we at Absolutely. the point? Are we at the point yet where they won't be able to try anymore? No, we're not, because Irish law just um, allows them to come back again and again and again. And it's one of the injustices, you know, that we're facing. That 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 it's a case of being worn down. You know, that eventually, I suppose, they're hoping um, that it will either, you know go through all the measures that it needs to or that the community will give up. So, no, that's one of the biggest challenges, just the, the persistence and the fact that they can keep on yeah. applying. Um, no matter what, at the moment, that site isn't zoned for an incinerator like this. Um, yeah. But that can be overturned. So, no, that's it's it's what we're facing, that it just goes on and on and on. How long is it now, Linda? Um, in 2000 um, is when the site selection concluded and in 2001... Um, they put in their first planning application, so trade has years. been in existence since yeah, twenty years, twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> Crikey! I know Crikey. we actually had this morning um, one of the children who's in photos um, when she was about six um, has just had a baby. So you know that's where we're at. People have died, new people are born. It's it's like a generational thing at this stage. Crikey! Yeah, it puts perspective on us. It sure does. Twenty years. This yeah. is going on. Yeah. And the determination is still there, I think. It is. It's grown, if anything. Um, the, I mean, this this High Court case was funded by the community. Um, people just rose up and um, donated and funded it and fundraised. And, like, like all from all corners of the community, it was really overwhelming. And um, at the very outset, it was a much smaller group. You know, it wasn't wanted, but it was a much smaller active group, whereas now um, the support is just... It would bowl you over. Okay, so next stage, when will we know where we go? What's next? Um, well, we'll we'll have a schedule, I suppose, on the 13th of April, but um, I don't know when we will know what the final ruling of the judge is. Mm. A number of months, I suspect. Um, I, I, I'd I be afraid to guess on anything to do with the time. <laughs> I think you're probably right, actually, Linda. <laughs> yeah. you're saying, in fairness to you, you're right. There's no... Yeah. All right, listen, it's another, it's another chapter, and this time a very positive chapter from Chase's side of things, where now it's gone back into court again. The planning permission now kind of doesn't stand at all, but the application stands. So the application is still live, even though the permission isn't. And they're going back into court next time. Dave Holland, Senior Counsel for Chase, said that they would be seeking that the permission be quashed by the court. The judge said he would need a lot of persuasion to conclude that uh, and to to send it back or without returning it to the board for consideration. And he adjourned the matter to the 13th of April. So it's far from over, but that was a big win, if you like, for Chase. 20 years. God, 20 years. And one of the, that, that's in the start of it when they had children, the protests and pickets down there. Linda just told me one of the children who appeared in the photographs in the very first objections to this 
project. One of the children has just had her first baby. That's that's gas. 1850-715-996. Mary says it's a great... Mary O'Leary, another member of Chase, says it's a great victory. Chase have worked tirelessly for the last 20 years, as you know. The community have put their hearts and souls into this campaign and held off the proposal for the last 20 years. Now it's time for the politicians to step up to the plate. They announced $450 million on Friday for the regeneration of Cork. Let them start now by buying the Endeavour site for the people. We all know since this pandemic how important our health and environment are. The people have done their bit. It's now time for our senior TDs, Simon Coveney, Michael McGrath and our Taoiseach Michal Martin to stand up and be counted. Thanks, PJ, says Mary. Thank you, Mary. Here's something interesting about that on Friday. I was reading over it. We had a very quick chat with the Taoiseach Friday. If you remember, he, he contacted the Opinion Line live from the launch of that massive investment for Cork. And then Thomas Gould was on saying there was nothing in it for the north side. Having a more detailed read of it, it's it, with the exception of some stuff up in Mallow, it's all in his own constituency. Docklands are in Cork South Central. The Grand Parade and all that surrounding it, Cork South Central. And what was the other big one? All the main elements of that project are in Cork South Central, in the Taoiseach's own constituency. Oh yeah, the Passage in Monkston. They're all in the Taoiseach's own constituency. <laughs> they used to give out to the Healy Rays for that. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Cork's 96FM's Select Irish. J.C. Stewart. Hey, I'm J.C. Stewart. Leah Hart. Hey, I'm Leah Hart. Can you play? Being the select Irish artist for the month really helped my song Older reach multiple new listeners. Isaac Butler. Hey, I'm Isaac Butler. And I wish I could change the past. Sophie Doyle Ryder. Hi, I'm Sophie Doyle Ryder. They're all select Irish artists. Select Irish on Cork's 96FM. She's a great platform for me to showcase my music on Irish radio. And you could be next. If you think you've got what it takes to be our featured artist, check out 96FM.ie forward slash select Irish. Cork's 96FM. Yeah, just getting back to the COVID figures. I'm not going to overly focus on the numbers today or where we go from here. We know that the Taoiseach will make an announcement. I think they say Good Friday. There'll be an announcement quite likely as to where we go after the 5th of April, which of course is Easter Monday. There's supposed to be an announcement either on the Thursday, that's Holy Thursday, or indeed Good Friday, of where we go from here. And of course, there'll be full of speculation and what might or might not be over the next week or 10 days. We'll focus a little bit more tomorrow, maybe, on where we might go regionally. There's a lot of talk that maybe you should be able to regionally lift restrictions so that the counties and the whole swathes of the con- of the country now that have very low community transmission, if not none at all, there are many parts of the country that now pretty much qualify as being uh, COVID-free in terms of community transi- transmission. You know, could you do something for them that's a bit more creative in terms of letting them get back to work, letting them get back to business, that kind of thing? We'll look a bit more in a bit more detail at that uh, tomorrow and over the rest of the week. But either way, this 
is on the phone to 185 Either we strive through some kind of return to normality by actually enforcing the rules and eliminating COVID, or we look at 15 years of destitution. Nobody wants to stick their neck out and say we have to be tough on this because they're all afraid of the civil rights activists. There is no light at the end of the tunnel because the second the figures go down a tiny bit, what happens? The government allow protests or pubs to serve drinks or large crowds to gather at the lock until they get too big or bring in a load of fellas from Brazil, of all places, without quarantine. This will end in a nightmare and it's all down to the government. There's no point, says Bernie, in all of us obeying the rules if 34,000 people can come into the country. It's a massive gaping hole has been shown to be time and time again. When are people going to be tough with the government? It's totally ridiculous. Well, we have the mandatory quarantine system supposed to be kicking in this week. They've given it to the TIFCO or TIFCO group who have quite a number of hotels in Dublin. I think they've got one here in Cork as well. But it's only for a list of 30-odd countries. It's not actually for everybody. It's only for a list of 30-something countries. Now, that list could be increased. And it's taken six weeks to put it in place. And it'll be the end of this week before anybody actually presents themselves at a reception desk in a hotel to check in for quarantine. But all the time, while we're fluting around for this to start, people are still coming in from wherever they want in the world, wandering through the airport, touching off desks and tables and chairs and brushing up against anybody else that's in the airport. Mercifully, the airports are quiet at the moment. But there's absolutely... And then, oh, are you going to quarantine? I am, of course. Are they being checked? No, they're not being checked. I asked someone at the week, somebody at the weekend who came home from America, actually, uh, for a while and did have the luxury of a place to stay uh, for two weeks, did that, stayed in, worked actually from home, worked in America, but worked from home for the two weeks. And I said, did anybody call to see, were you actually here? No. Did anybody ring you? No. Didn't see a sinner for the two weeks they're supposed to be in quarantine. That can't continue. And this half-arsed, half-baked, half-finished hotel quarantine system isn't going to work either. We covered at the end of last year the taking down or the horrific discoveries of what was contained on a platform called Discard. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of images, explicit images of Irish girls and young women. And it was the sort of opening of a Pandora's box to look at our revenge porn problem in this country. And we realised then it was enormous. But we didn't realise how enormous it actually is. There's a brilliant front page story and a lot of detail inside the Irish Sun today on a software developer who took down a server with more than a half a million images on it and who now says it's bigger than anybody could imagine, that this problem is bigger than anybody could possibly have thought. The guy goes under an assumed name and he runs a new service called Cartus. It's the big story on today's Irish Sun, written by Danny Duval. Danny, good morning. Good morning. How are you, PJ? I'm great. It is for this guy's own protection now that he goes under a pseudonym. Just how deep is he into this? So basically, um, 
that was kind of one of the first questions I had to ask him was, was why is it that he wanted to keep his anonymity? And he said that the people that he's dealing with, um, it's all it's almost like developed into this kind of organised crime gang. And he said victims of, of of leaked images are being blackmailed and there's kind of this sophisticated operation going on where men and, well, it might not just be men, but there's people that are trading these explicit images, almost like currency, and they're used to blackmail people. So he's, he's keeping his anonymity, a se- or he's keeping his identity a secret, um, purely for his own safety, really, Um and he said that if his safety was compromised, he would have to pull the service. And he said that that it would be quite a disservice to a lot of people. Right. So tell us about Cartus. He has set this up using his own uh, knowledge of how things operate. Yeah. So so basically, this this all kind of stemmed from that that leak back back in November from the Discord server. He said he became aware that, that there was a leak um, on Twitter and he, he, he went on, he found the server and he only when he clicked onto that server did he realise the scale of how many people was actually in the server. So the server was called Ireland 32 Counties and basically that server had indexed different, every county in Ireland had, had, had like a folder within the server. And within that folder, so if you clicked on the Derry folder, you could see girls from Derry, or you could see girls from Cork, or you could see girls from Dublin. Right. And a lot of them, a lot of the um, images also linked down to the, the girls' social media accounts. And a lot of the people never even realised that their their images had been uploaded to the to the server. And he said they took down that initial server in about a half an hour. And then after that, he started getting messages on Twitter saying, oh, well, my images are up here, my images are there, can, can you help me? And he said it kind of got to the stage where he, where he couldn't turn people away. And that kind of, in, in January, that's where Cartus was born. So, effectively, he opened a Pandora's box? Basically, and he, he said to me, like, you know, people, people read the headlines in November seeing that there was this Discord leak and thought, oh, you know, that, that was an isolated incident. But the one thing he wanted to make clear to me was, this isn't an isolated incident. There, he said there's millions of images being swapped online right now. And while the media focus was on this Discord server back in November, um, he said he could find 50 similar servers doing, doing the exact same thing right now. And there's, there's millions of images mm-hmm. um, on, on these servers. Now, we have law that was signed into... Um, into law in December by President Higgins. It's called Coco's Law, but it should stop the sharing of these things. But has it? He said he said it hasn't. Um, but he said it legitimises the work he, he and Carter does. Um, and he's kind of called for kind of go- government funding and support. But he said these are being like openly traded online. And while the, while the law he said is a game changer and it helps the work that he does. It hasn't really stemmed the problem. Wow! So this is an awful lot bigger than anybody thought it was. It was. And he, he he was saying so. It, there was this Discord server and those five hundred thousand images in that Discord server alone. But since Curtis um, was kind of developed in, in in January, let's say he said he's probably taken down about a million images so far in total. Um, and he said, like, girls are contacting him who are at the end of their tether. Yeah. Um, you know, you have nowhere really else to turn, and kind of this is their kind of like, last bit of hope because he said people are contacting them um, who are being blackmailed, who um, who are being tormented and harassed, 
Um, and he said it's he said leaking the leaking of images is obviously terrible in its own right, but there's this new added layer where people are blackmailing girls, oh send me money or, or we'll expose you to your colleagues or we'll send it to your parents. Yeah. Um, and there's this whole other darker side that's now being uncovered. Right. Wow. Far more information on this, uh, Danny, in the Irish Sun today. Thank you very much. That's Danny Duval, reporter from the Irish Sun. This is a huge story. And I remember at the time when the Discord story broke towards the end of the year, we were trying to dig down into it to see how big it might be. The prediction being made at the time by software experts was that if you can dig down into the darker side of the web, that this is much, much, much bigger. And there it is. And this guy, this fellow Matt, Works full-time as a software engineer. That's his day job. Cartus has kind of become his baby on the side. It's actually costing him money to keep it going. But he's using his unique knowledge and set of skills to take down images and take down servers and take down all these sharing platforms. And he's trying to work with all of the main social media platforms. But so much pressure has he come under since he started doing this work. They had to speak to Danny under an assumed name because he's actually in danger for it. 185715996. I'll hold that break, Terry, because it's the last one, so we only have the one left. So I'll go straight. I'll go straight to Alwyn next. Um, we talked throughout the pandemic about how you amuse your children and how you keep your children from losing their minds when they're locked in and can't go out to play and when they're homeschooling and all of that. How do you keep them from going demented? And so many parents, and it's easy to see why, so many parents say, oh, Peppa Pig is my friend. And the screen is my friend. And I can, you know, put the children in front of the screen and keep them happy for a while. Which, as any parent of young children knows, screens are a godsend. Screens will get you through a half an hour so that you can sit down and eat your dinner in peace. That kind of thing. But a new study now is suggesting that letting them play too frequently on tablets and phones and game consoles could be putting them at higher risk of behavioural problems when they go to school, particularly toddlers. When they go to school, the screen time could affect their performance in school. Alwyn Morin is from Cogni Kids. Alwyn, good morning to you. Hi there. Where does this research come from? So um, this research came from the Finnish Institute for Health and Welfare and was published there just in the past couple of weeks. Um, And it took a cohort of 700 children uh, and parents, they asked the parents to self-report on screen time. So basically the parents at a particular point throughout, it was a longitudinal study over five years, and at a particular point throughout those five years, parents would report on the screen use. And it's the amount of, is it what they're using the screens for or just the amount of time they're spending on them? So there is a distinction between uh, passive content and active content. 
Um, definitely. That is something that does need to be looked at. So it's kind of keeping an eye. So the passive content uh, would be, and you reference Peppa Pig there, would be just like watching the endless videos on YouTube where they just like one loads after the other, after the other, mm. after and after the other. So there's no, the child really has no interaction um, with uh, what's going on. They're just sitting there and they're actually just what what is it's noted as consuming content. Mm. Um, and so that is something that really is not great um, for a multitude of reasons. And unfortunately, you know, I suppose the only immediate effect that parents would see is when they go to try to take the tablet off the little one and all hell breaks loose. Um, and, you know, and I suppose they can kind of navigate that there and then. Mm. But actually, it's a, it's a compounding issue and there are longitudinal effects. Um, associated with uh, the amount of screen time. So the WHO, uh, the American Pediatric Association, Australian Pediatric Association, all of those would all recommend that there is no screen time for children under the age of two, bar something like Skype or FaceTime, where they are, and uh, like I'm sure that these have been an absolute godsend throughout the pandemic, where yeah. people's family are the other side of the world, or even in the other county, and they just, you know, they FaceTime, and it's a really good way of your toddler maintaining connection, maybe with grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so they do make that distinction between um, that type of interaction and they say that that's okay uh, under the age of two, but really to hand some device uh, and let your little one loose on it uh, under the age of two, they really do not um, advocate for that. And what are they saying will be the problems in years to come if you have too much screen time as a toddler? Yeah, so um, it has been identified, and this is actually, to be honest with you, it really isn't anything earth-shatteringly new. The difference is that it's in a younger cohort. So they have studied children, you know, kind of nine, ten years of age and upwards and looked at those impacts. But now this is the first one that really has studied in that young, young age cohort. So they're identifying things like hyperactivity issues, impulsivity, where they can't um, monitor and regulate their own behaviour. Uh, because don't forget, screens have the flashing sounds, they have the tapping, the interaction, the immediate rewards. And those all release a little dopamine hit into your toddler's brain. Right. Um, and that is something that your toddler really becomes used to and it is actually akin to um, wiring for addiction. So You, you used the A word. I was wondering where you're going mm-hmm. to get there because they now do know and they've studied yeah. th- that there is an addiction cohort yeah. with regard to screens. And are they suggesting then that if you, if you give your children too much screen time when they're two, three and four, that when they go into school at five and they're handed God of horrors a book, yeah. that they don't know how to concentrate on it? Oh yeah, they don't even know how to navigate it. Because, um, you know, every year, so I've researched this area for a long number of years, for about seven years now. And um, every year, primary school teachers in, and I would look at the notes and feedback from Irish primary school teachers where they meet every year and the UK primary school teachers. And for the last, I would say, seven years, they're reporting that junior infants come in, they're handed a book. And they don't even open the pages. They just start swiping across the top. Go on out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Not made up at all. 
um, where they just, you know, kind of obviously have just had tablet use. Um, and you can see how that would, you know, happen because children learn from their environment. So their home environment is their first interaction. Uh, and, you know, what's standard is perceived as normal. Um, but oh, and the line just dropped off the screen. Alwyn Morgan, or Morin rather, from Cognikids. Uh, that's grand. We had had a good conversation there. But this is new research, and it's accepted worldwide now. That's fascinating that the children were going into primary school and being handed a book and not knowing what to do with it. That the first thing they started to do was swipe and try to tap it to see where. Crikey. 1850-715-996. Peppa Pig may not be your friend after all. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Kevin reminds me that they had to go, he had to go from Fremont to the city for a test. Yeah, and someone else just messaged there during the news. They had to come from y'all to the city for a test. This is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. Like, between y'all and Cork City, you have Middleton. Surely y'all or Middleton could do some kind of a small testing centre in a doctor's surgery or something. Same, like, there should be no one have to come into that. And the same with Kevin, Fremont. Like, why couldn't there be something in Mallow? What's that about? What's wrong with that? Why are people having to travel such long distances for tests a year into a pandemic? It's mad. And of course, you have the same problem now with vaccines. When they open up, people will be travelling long distances to get their vaccines from, from the country. And I suppose you can't put it in every hamlet and every two-horse... You can't. But you can surely put something into a decent-sized town like Middleton or like, or like Mallow, rather than have people having to come into the city for COVID tests. 1850-715-996, the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 83 396 9696 email opinion at 96fm.ie if you missed anything in our first hour remember the podcast will be available during the afternoon I'm laughing about I, I, it was just an observation I wasn't necessarily saying anything bad about it some people will but I won't that all of the investment or with the exception of what went to Mallow the investment massive investment announced by the Taoiseach on Friday of huge money for the Docklands, huge money for the Grand Parade area there, and massive investment in the towns and the harbour and all that. It's all, that it's all in the Taoiseach's own constituency. I wasn't necessarily given out about that, just observing it. Like, Cork has five constituencies, not just the one. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the lads on the proc seem to think that I have it in for the Taoiseach. I do not have it in for the Taoiseach. God almighty, no. Jesus, no, we'd have a pint together in Nemo now and again when Nemo was open, so I don't have it in from at all. But, but, <laughs> Jeez, you can't say anything, can you? You just can't say anything. 1850-715-996. On the subject of vaccinations, uh, there was a good read yesterday in the Business Post with Brian McCraw, who is kind of our vaccine czar. He's the the head of all things vaccination and reading into it, he was trying to reassure people that there'll be plenty to go around by the summer and that we'll all have an opportunity to get at least our first jab by June. At least. And when Johnson & Johnson comes on stream 
that we'll get loads of people done in one go. He was trying to reassure us through this article in the Business Post yesterday. But at the moment, they're supposed to be vaccinating very vulnerable people. People who were further down the list initially, but have now been bumped up the list so that they, with their in, in, you know, inbuilt vulnerability, can get vaccinated. But there's an awful lot of uncertainty about it. Linda, good morning. Good morning. You, twitter, you, you tweeted about this. You are, you've had a liver transplant, correct? Yes, that's correct. I had a liver transplant in 2016. Right, which means that you have a compromised immune system for the rest of your life. Absolutely. And um, like I'm taking a lot of medication to suppress my immune system, to stop me rejecting my liver. And I also have to take medication to deal with a chronic illness as well that caused me to have a liver transplant in the first place. So I'm extremely immunocompromised. So COVID-19 would kill you, probably. Yes. Yes. You've been cocooning since when? Last year, I suppose. Um, more or less from the beginning of last year, you know, like my life has been put on hold and my family's life has been put on hold and um, my movements are very limited and, you know, the fear of exposure from COVID is very real for anyone that is vulnerable and anyone that is immunocompromised, you know, Mm. and that's why... um, You were obviously very happy when you heard that the vaccines were coming, you were being bumped up the list for the vaccine. You know, there was mixed emotions. We were very happy to finally be heard, but also there was disappointment because of the way that they have decided to roll it out. They have divided uh, vulnerable people into two cohorts. So you have cohort four and cohort cohort seven. And it's not okay to discriminate against people's illnesses. You know, if someone is medically vulnerable in the north of Ireland and in the UK, they're all in the one cohort. Whereas in Ireland, it's a split. And, you know, I have a wide network of friends from all various backgrounds, from having MS, from CF, from rare lung diseases, from different transplants. Um, And, you know, some of us are in cohort seven, some are in four, and some of us don't fall into any of those categories. And it's just, it's just not good enough. So so have you any idea when you might get vaccinated, Linda? No. So as it stands, I am in cohort four. Okay. But the problem now is um, my GP, which I have a very good GP. So um, she's saying that she is still vaccinating the over 85s and she hasn't been given clearance or guidance on when she will be moving into cohort four. When I have been in contact with my hospital in Dublin and my hospital in Cork, they can't give any clarity either. They're waiting on confirmation from the HSE. So at the moment, we have not been given a time, a place, any direction on when we're getting our vaccine from anybody. We've had no reassurance whatsoever. So that's what led the campaign that I'm part of, uh, Vaccines for Vulnerable. So Vaccines for Vulnerable is an independent space dedicated to supporting people who need a vaccine for the most medically vulnerable out there. We have um, a page on Twitter called V number four for V Ireland. Mm -hmm. And on Instagram, we have at vaccines for vulnerable. Um, 
if you go onto the vaccinesforvulnerable.com site, there is a template there and a drop box that you can write directly to your local TD to raise awareness for the vulnerable people in your life mm-hmm. or even your own situation. Also, we have shared a collaboration of three videos from all different people in the campaign, like myself, that are just sharing our own personal stories. And sadly, in the last few days, our video editor, Lewis, was uh, just tested positive for COVID. Now, Lewis is a double lung transplant patient with CF. And we are absolutely heartbroken for him. How is he? Is he okay? Um, well, we're still waiting on news, but he tested positive there about three days ago. And um, it's just heartbreaking because he was left down with the system and there's so many of us that are being left down and it's not good enough. We need to be protected. And, you know, like 93% of COVID deaths in Ireland are people with an underlying medical condition. Yes. That's not good enough. I'm a young mother with an underlying medical condition. I do not want to be another COVID death statistic. Can I ask? Can I ask what age you are, Linda? I am forty-five. Yes. And what are you missing out on? Most importantly, I'm missing out on much-needed hospital appointments. It's been over twelve months since I've been able to attend my hospital appointment to monitor my liver disease my kidney functions, which are all impaired because of my transplant. So we are missing like face-to-face interaction with our medical teams. Now we are getting like phone calls from them and stuff like that, but it's just not the same because we're trying to relay our medical information over the phone and get guidance and we have worries and concerns and, you know, there's a gap there. So the most important thing we're missing is our medical care and that's urgent for so many of us. Um, And then, like, I'm just, I'm missing my family and I'm missing, like, just the fact that, you know, interacting with people that I care and I love and, like... While I was on the transplant list, I spent 13 months on the list and my life was really put on hold during those 13 months. Mm. And, you know, like, thanks to my organ donor, like, I was given a gift of life, a life I cherish and love. And can I ask, Linda, that transplant, clearly it went well for you, but obviously a transplant comes with permanent medication and monitoring and all of this. Like... Pre-COVID, post-transplant, how close to a normal life were you? Pre-COVID, um, I, I actually kind of hit a little bit of a hiccup uh, with my illness because right. my liver started being impaired again. So just at the very beginning, uh, in March last year, I actually had to go into hospital in Dublin and have tests done and stuff like that. So it was just around the very beginning of COVID, which was quite worrying. I was up in hospital for a week in Dublin um, having a biopsy and then I was diagnosed with a reoccurrence of my illness in my liver. So up to that stage, um, you know, I've been living um, a life as full as I can. You know, I've been celebrating like graduations from college, um, or from school with my daughters, you know, like 21st birthdays, 
you know, big milestones in my daughter's lives that, like, there's no way I would have been able to celebrate any of these without having a transplant. Wow. So, yeah. like... That's to tell I you how much it means. And now to be able to get your your injection. And look, we all know that the, the supply, and that, that article that I referenced in the Business Post yesterday was a good read on how they're trying to, you know, overcome the supply issues that we were dealing with during the month of, of February and, and early March. And, and they say that they will have that problem solved the, the, the far side of Easter and there'll be a good steady flow but you still need an appointment you still need to know when you're going to get this done yes we have we we have been told nothing anything that we are finding out we're finding out through the media like everybody else our doctors can't give us any clarity our hospitals can't give us any clarity like like I said I have a large network of people that are medically vulnerable and out of my network of people, I only know one person that has had their vaccination. Yeah. One person. Well, that, it's not good enough. No. no. And I, I sincerely hope that your friend the video guy will be okay, Linda. That's yeah. very it's very concerning and I, my thoughts are, are, are with him. Thoughts of our team are with him. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Cheers. That's Linda O'Mahony, liver transplant recipient and one of the vulnerable cohort that are due to be getting their vaccines immediately if not sooner. When we have them to give, they started re-injecting AstraZeneca at the weekend and there's something like 50,000 of them to be distributed this week to where they're going. And also the weekend, I happened to bump into one or two guards on a checkpoint and I was explaining to him, I was just going home, but I went through this checkpoint and I said to him, how are you getting on? And he said, oh, grand, grand, grand. I said, you must be bored out of your mind. He says, yeah, but he said, the problem is, he said, we're nowhere near a vaccine. And that I won't tell you where it was, I won't tell you who he was, but he just said to me, he said, I have, a, I have a young lad at home with a compromised immune system. And he said, here I am out in a checkpoint. I need my vaccine. I need to do my job and go home to my son safely. Like I said, I'm not going to say where the checkpoint was. I'm not going to say who he was. not even going to say what he looked like. But I thought, yeah, there you were out doing your job. Do you know? And you have no vaccine. You're on the front line, if ever you were on the front line. You have a, a lad at home with a compromised immune system. What happens if you pick it up in the course of a day's work on the checkpoint? You bring it home to that young, that young lad. That's not fair. That really is not fair. 1850-715-996. I just want to text in support of Linda from Chase. Just a suggestion as well to Simon Coveney and Michael Martin to buy the site off Endeavour for the people of Cork with the 450 million regeneration fund that they announced and do something that the people actually want to see. Conversation I've had many times over the years with John Ahern from Endeavour and we've had some good old uh, chats, myself and himself. Um, like, what part of no, go away, we don't want you, do you not understand? Like, if you were going into the same pub for a pint every night and the barman said, you go away, you're barred. We don't want you. You'd eventually go to a different pub. But anyway, we'll see where it goes. 1850 715 996. In Carrigahan, no water. Temple, what? Is it called? It's a called Temple in Carrigahan. Is it a housing estate or was it Carrigahan? No water since last Friday. That's a disgrace. Went to from when Temple Hill. Thanks, Temple Hill. 
The locals call it Temple. Ah, thanks. Thanks for that. I travelled from Ballancolig to Blackpool for my COVID test. My friend had travelled from Ballancolig to Dunmanway. What? For a COVID test. I had to go to Blackpool for a COVID test last Saturday. I live in Sallybrook and Glenmire. There's a test centre in St. Stephen's. The mind boggles. Lots of these coming in. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the clamping down on an outbreak in Auckland in New Zealand. Do you remember that? And they had pop-up test centres. I was reading a piece in one of the New Zealand newspapers about it. That when they're dealing with an outbreak or trying to bring an outbreak under control, they literally have pop-up test centres, which for all the world, the description, they're a bit like an army truck that arrives in, in a place and anyone in that gen- general district that needs a test, you just go there. So literally, it's like, <laughs> like sending out the county library. Like, you know, like the, li- like the library van that goes around. Like this pop-up test centre. So if you had a load of people needing testing in Middleton or Yall or whatever, you just get in the pop-up truck and you drive down, you do the tests and bring well, These people should not have to be travelling 20, 30 miles for a test. A year into the flipping thing, like. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Monday afternoon, if you're working, the boss is breathing down your neck and the emails are piling up, I promise I'll help you fly through it as quickly as possible. All the biggest tunes, your favourite artists are are here to help. See you from midday on Corks 96 FM. Corks 96 FM. You ever wondered how all the stuff that we love to do on the water, all the boating activity, sailing activity, all the transport of stuff on the sea, how that affects what lives in the sea? People who were there before we ever were there, kind of thing. Major uh, research project started in West Cork now, down in beautiful Baltimore. As it's, it's the scientific headquarters for a project monitoring how noise impacts the creatures of the sea, the whales, dolphins and porpoises, because we forget that we have whales, dolphins and porpoises off our coast and every so often we get to see them and they're the most wonderful creatures. Emer Keevney is one of the lead researchers on this. Emer, good morning to you. Hi, PJ. How are you keeping? Great. We wouldn't think it, would we? But our activity on top of the water affects life for these wonderful creatures in the water. But we've never really studied up to now how much it does affect them. Exactly. So I suppose noise pollution is an issue that's um, of both detachment and lack of awareness between people that use the sea and the marine mammals that live there and depend on sound for their survival. So um, acoustic studies um, to determine noise pollution levels um, have been conducted around the world and in Ireland in the past. But this is the first um, real-time monitoring project that's going to use machine learning algorithms to automate the detection of these species calls. So it's a really exciting project for Ireland, um, both on a national and international scale. And of course, it's supported by Huawei's um, Tech for All programme, and it's in partnership with internationally renowned NGO Rainforest Connection. Yeah. So um, it's a big project, all right, for, for West Cork. 
and it, a huge step forward for the conservation of these animals, you know. Yeah. Because what they do is the way they live under the water, particularly the likes of whales and dolphins, they use things like sonar and they use they use sound effectively to to find their food sometimes and to and to find each other and another. And I guess if we're disturbing their sound, we're disturbing their lives. Exactly. I suppose um, nobody likes the doorbell ringing when you're having your dinner, you know, in the evening. But um, sound, um, it's an extremely efficient way to propagate energy through the ocean. So whales and dolphins in particular have evolved over a million years to exploit the use of sound and to rely on it for communication, navigation, hunting prey, um, predatory avoidance and finding mates. But we often don't think of, you know, the impacts that we're having with regards to an impact or the input of noise pollution into our oceans. Mm. So um, the south coast of Ireland is a cetacean hotspot, a whale dolphin um, watching hotspot. And we have many ecotour operator vessels that operate in the area. And we also have shipping companies that are all introducing noise to the habitation of their propellers, you know. So um, essentially... Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon. What we hope to do is we hope to um, learn a lot more about the soundscape off the south coast of Ireland in relation to ambient noise levels. But also we want to learn more about the animals that are out there. So this is super exciting for me personally as a researcher because I've been out there um, in collaboration with the Whale Watch ecotour operators for the past five years, collecting data on these animals and learning more about them. But now we have an opportunity to listen in at night or yeah. when, you know, there's COVID restrictions and we can't get on the water. because yeah. the And this is a huge, it's a huge buoy, isn't it? That is literally sitting there like a great big microphone in the, in the water and you can monitor it from shore. Exactly, yeah. So at the moment now we've deployed a four metre, um, four tonne uh, buoy off the south coast, nine kilometres from shore. And it's listening in real time and sending data to Huawei's cloud wow. storage. Storage. So we're basically, um, at the moment, we're pre-processing the data and we're analysing it. But we had detections before we even reached, reached um, port back in Crazy. Baltimore. So it was absolutely phenomenal. It was a brilliant day and the weather prevailed. Um, and since then, now we've been listening into the South Coast. So hearing, you know, activity at night and things Great. like that. So, so what will you do then with what you find? So what we'll do is we'll train the algorithm to automate the detection of these animals. So then the technology has um, applications or potential applications for a range of things. So first of all, um, it could be used to create an alert system for um, ship, shipping companies and through our observers app. So we have a citizen science, scientist app um, called the observers app that allows people to record um, a range of marine megafauna species from cetaceans, whales, dolphins and porpoises to pinnipeds, seals, um, yeah. seabirds, even Atlantic bluefin tuna. So what we could do is we could create an alert system through that and we could ask mariners to, you know, reduce their speed, keep an eye out for the animals that they're seeing. Okay, okay. so you can put into, into the mariner's chart then, look, this is a big feeding ground, be careful around here, that kind of thing, or a breeding ground. Ingrid, it's fascinating 
technology one thing and research second uh, thanks for that appreciate it it's Emer Keevney she's the lead researcher on this new research project off the southwest coast literally listening to the whales and the dolphins and the porpoises listening to them to try to figure out how our behaviour on the water affects their lives in the water thank you for that 1850 715996. You could see a Netflix documentary in that kind of thing, couldn't you? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Behind the Curtain welcomes audiences behind the curtains of Cork City's Heartlands of Music. The first series comes live from the Corner House as you're welcome to enjoy the music mass of Ono Rievek, Confado O'Driscoll, Pat Herring Ahern, and Johnny McCarthy. Further details and tickets are available at everymancork.ie. Access all areas. This coming summer's Live at the Marquee shows have been rescheduled to take place during summer 2022. Some of the show's moves include Dead Mouse, Sinead O'Connor, The Two Johnnies, The Coronas, and Orbital. You'll find more information on the rescheduled shows on Acre Promotions social media channels. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas is if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie Access all areas Your guide to nightlife on the side On Cork's 96FM This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Text or WhatsApp now 0833 969696 96 96 On Cork's 96FM Quick reminder to you, this is normally the time of year when we'd be gearing up for a Daffodil Day. And in fact, this Daffodil Day is Friday, March 26th. And it's in partnership with Boots. But of course, it's the most important Daffodil Day, yes. And the Irish Cancer Society can't be on the streets for Daffodil Day for obvious reasons. So they need your help more than ever this week. They want you to support Daffodil Day and help the Irish Cancer Society to provide crucial services to adults and children with cancer. You can find out more at cancer.ie. Daffodil Day is a great promotion and a great fundraiser in normal times, but of course these are not normal times, so it's being conducted online. you find more about it on cancer.ie. This coming Friday, March 26th, Daffodil Day 2021. Surely you come across... Instagram feeds and pages and blogs and stuff and people have any kind of different number of interests in them and it's only when you dig down into it you say that's actually very very interesting what she's doing and what they're on about like like have an age to this just for 25 seconds each box is 10 euros so every time you add 10 euros to your emergency fund you're going to colour in a box and before you know it you're going to have the whole page full now this is a free tracker this is after today's discussion and um you're going to hold me accountable i'm going to hold you accountable we're going to get our funds built up uh, all you have to do to get it is pop me an email and i'll send it to you my email address is in the bio now that's one of many different aspects to an instagram blog called the chubby mama uh, denise good morning to you 
Hi, PJ. How are you? Good, good. I was digging through it last evening. All sorts different. <laughs> all sorts you really different. You were digging, definitely. <laughs> all sorts of different interests in here. I'll ask you about bathroom tiles in a little while. Oh, God. <laughs> but first of all, when did you set this up and why? Oh, God. Um, it was probably two and a bit years ago. Um, initially, it was a completely anonymous page. It was just something for myself. Um, I wanted to start losing a bit of weight and I was following Slimming World and I just wanted it to keep myself accountable to be kind of posting up the little achievements as I went along and to kind of keep the the train on the tracks. Um, And then people I knew started kind of finding it, which threw me totally out of my comfort zone. So then I said, well, there's no point being anonymous anymore. Everyone knows it's me. And then it kind of just grew from there. I would never talk on my stories before. And now it's pretty much all in my stories. And it's just interaction all day, every day on everything. Absolutely everything and anything. That's where I was going with it. Because a lot of yeah. a lot of blogs are sort of on one particular thing, like baking. Mind you, if I see another loaf of banana bread, I'm just going to pull it off the nearest wall I can find, right? Baking, or they'll do the weight loss bit, or they'll do tips and motivate. You do the lot. I know. Is it is it a case of what, what kind of spurs you in the morning? What am I going to blog about today? No, it's... I, PJ, I just document my day. Genuine, and it's not even documenting it. I just kind of show little snippets of the day as it goes yeah. along. So I could be doing... Evie's hair going to preschool or I could be you know ferrying Luke somewhere and it could just be something that happens so mm. I mean the latest thing that's going on is the, the emergency fund saving and that all came about because our emergency fund got a massive hit um, and I talked about it yeah. and suddenly I had people coming back saying oh my god what's an emergency fund and you know oh god I have no savings and that just that shook me to my core I actually put up a poll on the page then saying you know do you have savings and half of the people came back they had no savings at all Yeah. at all at all and I mean we're in the middle of a pandemic a lot of people were financially hit a lot of people are out of work on the pandemic payment and they're struggling and they're probably realising for the first time in my life, in their lives, you know, I need a bit of money behind me as a safety net, you know. Yeah. So it was just the perfect time to do it. Um, I just sat down. It, it literally took me five minutes to do up the, the template. And yeah, yeah I just put and it And have you a finance background or is it just uh, someone no. taught you the common sense of putting a few quid away? No, <laughs> I actually got into an awful lot of debt um, when I finished secondary school um, and into my teens. I... I hadn't a clue, really. Mm. I just didn't have a clue and I made a lot of bad choices. Um, uh, I, this was now at the peak as well. If you remember, PJ, I mean, right before the Celtic Tiger went boom, everyone always thought you can always earn more money. You know, and we'll just yeah. get another loan and, and credit cards and there's no problem. Yeah. Um, and I, I was 18 at that point and the bank sent me a credit card. I never applied. I oh. sent one. And I got sent one with a three thousand euro limit. And oh, at all 18, I oh God. at eighteen and I was barely earning three hundred euros a week and I just thought, Oh, this looks shiny, this looks fun. So I went into town and the first thing I bought was a treadmill just to see that the card actually worked. <laughs> that was it. I spent six hundred and fifty euros on a treadmill to see if the card worked. And then from there it just snowballed. There was no stopping me after that. And I never really stopped to consider, hey, you're going to have to pay this back. You know, there was, there was no thought of that. It was just, this mm. is great. 
um, pennies, you name it. I went in everyone. I just had a gala. Um, and it just started me completely on the wrong foot. You know, I, all of a sudden, then a year later, I was drowning in debt, about 30,000 euros between car loans, credit cards, overdraft. Um, I was living out of home, so I had rent to pay. I had bills to pay. And I would get paid, and it would make a slight dent in my overdraft. And within a day of paying my rent and things, I was right back at the bottom. That of would day. teach you practicality very quickly, Denise. Oh, did it was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first thing that it gave me was anxiety. There's, there's no denying it. Suddenly, life was very real, and I had to kind of face it. You know, that, look, you've gotten yourself in this mess. You have to get yourself out of it. But I really hadn't a clue. Um, I had never heard of MABS. I had never heard of any of these spaces. And I just thought, right, you have to do something. So I ended up working three jobs for three years just to clear it. Good, um, yeah. Yeah, but it was tough, PJ. You know, when I look back and I missed out on so much, I really did. So many of my friends went traveling. They went to concerts, weekends away. And, and I couldn't do it. I just mm. couldn't do no, it. No, but what I mean by good on you is you were very young at the time and the temptation would be ah, to ignore it. It'll go away. But of course it won't. And, yeah. it, and you had the practicality to know that it didn't. And the idea now that everyone, this was the most fascinating bit of the, of the, of the except for the tiles, which I'll get to in a minute. But <laughs> this idea that everyone, no matter how small their income, can build up a little block of money that if something goes wrong and you need a few hundred quid, it's there. A hundred percent. Absolutely anyone. Anyone can do it. And it doesn't matter if you're putting 50 cents away a week. You're putting something away so that when there is an emergency, Mm. you've got something to fall back on. I mean, Rome wasn't built in a day. Nothing happens overnight. Everything is built slow and steadily, you know. Um, You're already making debt repayments, so throw an extra fiver at it if you have it, you yeah. know, and just get it down that little bit faster. Do you know what makes saving harder these days, Denise? I think a lot of people might identify with this because I certainly had this thought when I was watching that particular story this morning was something I used to do every year was I would start the minute I came home from my holidays in the summer, I had a bucket in the bedroom and every night I would empty the entire contents of my pocket change-wise into the bucket. And I did that all year round. And come the next holiday, the bucket would be full. And my God, there was a week spending money in the bucket, right? And then you go, PJ, that was your holiday sinking fund. But the thing you about it is, now we're not carrying cash, Denise. Yeah. There are no coins. My book, my, my poor pathetic little bucket would barely, would barely buy me coffee and a scone now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I have to change my tactics around as well with COVID because I would have been a cash envelope spender. So... Mm. It was a great way for me to stay accountable was to physically have the cash on me. And you can't overspend. It is what it is. You have 50 euros, that's the most you can spend. Um, But then COVID hit and the shops got a bit nervous about taking cash. So I had to start using my card and I knew then I had to change my system around. So um, I started using Revolut. Yeah. For me, oh, it's excellent. brilliant, Revel, it's brilliant. Excellent. And it's got these little vaults, which are essentially your little cash envelopes, and you can label them, and you can, you know, 
put your spare change into them and all this kind of jazz. And they're great. They keep me accountable because I'm a very visual person. Mm. So I plan ahead and I highly recommend that for anyone who's looking yeah. to save and they can't do cash at the moment. This, this is a great way to do it. Yeah. Take other, other elements of it. The, the weight loss thing, like you said, you, you want, that's where you originally went on Instagram yeah. to keep yourself, yourself accountable. You keep up to date with that all the time and you seem to apply the same kind of methodical basis to it. Everything is yeah. methodical with you. Yeah. <laughs> it is. The thoughts keep me awake late at night to be honest. But um yeah, everything with me is thought out and methodical. Um like the weight loss is one element of it. Again, nothing happens fast. You know, you have to be patient and you have to keep chipping away at it. And it's, that's the same with debt and it's the same with savings. Um, and it's the same with anything I do. So I wanted a playhouse for the kids, for example. And I mean, they're, they're big money, PJ. I know you're well out of that age now, but, you know, they're big money. And uh, I happened to spot one come up on Facebook Marketplace. I knew looking at it, I could make it gorgeous. And I knew it was going to do the space I wanted it in. Um, so, yeah, went and picked it up, um, chucked it in the back of a van, came all the way home, put it back together. Uh, I just finished painting it yesterday almost. Um, and instead of it costing me the bones of a thousand euros, it ended up costing me 200. Wow. Um, for everything, for, you know, for the actual playhouse and the paint. And the rest of it was my time. And you know what? I actually stood back and I thought, I would have done this anyway because I would have wanted it to be special for my kids. So I would have painted it anyway. Mm-hmm. So I really wasn't at any bit of a loss. And it's gorgeous. I'm delighted with it. You yeah, know? I did, so, is, did I see a picture of it? Yeah, I only put it up last night showing people just how it's turned out for now. Um, there's a few little finishing touches to be done, but I'm really, really pleased. And then the way I look at that is I would have spent a thousand euros on a playhouse. I've now saved 800 euros and I can put that towards something else. Yeah, that can go towards doing up my home or um, putting it towards a holiday when COVID eventually goes, and you know all these things. It's 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 just a way of being a bit more savvy, making your money go that little bit further. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, which is important to us all. Hundred percent. You, know, you yeah. need and to be able to put a couple of bob aside and say if you need, even if it's just the thing like a birthday comes up and you want to go out to dinner yeah. in normal times <laughs> when we could do. Do you remember when we could do that? It'll be back, it'll be back. There's, it will, there's, it will. there's the money. No, I, I actually have a thinking fund for that, PJ. I have um, 11 nieces and nephews and um, I have six sisters, so I have a massive family. And it's always nice to get something for someone for their birthday. So I actually have a thinking fund for birthdays and I put a little bit into it every so often. And it just means when I need to go and buy a present for someone, I'm not caught off guard. The money's there. Yeah. You know, it's great if I want to go out for dinner with friends to celebrate someone's birthday. I don't have the anxiety that, oh God, can I afford it? You know, the money is there because I've planned for it. Yeah. So, um, and that's that's kind of where the page is. Do you is find a lot of the readers of your page kind of identifying with it and saying, Christ, I should try, I, I, I should try that too. How do I start? Do you find yeah. a lot of people saying, how do I start, Denise? Yeah, a lot of people. We actually started doing, uh, we, I don't know why I'm getting we, um, I started doing, live budgets with people so um anonymous people who follow the page i get a lot of messages from people asking for help um and i i try and pick case studies that i can show people if i was in their shoes how i might approach the budget um and there's a couple of highlights on the page for those so i had mary who just finished college first serious job but still living at home um and then we did sarah who is a single mom um and you know, money is tight. And I talk through all of the elements. So we literally, we show 
all the debt, we show all the payments, and, and it's a step-by-step process. And mm-hmm. the whole point of doing that is that if someone's watching and they want to implement the same steps, it's going to be very easy for them to replicate it. And they can do it themselves at home. So I'm trying to teach people how to do it. I'm interested in in our earlier question. Remember I said to you, had you a financial background and you said you didn't. In actual fact, you have. Well, (laughs) I didn't back then and I didn't when I was approaching my debt. I I had none of that. Um, I went to UCC at 18 and it wasn't for me at all. But then... I think having gone through everything I did, it really showed me. I, yeah, I you, you learned, you, you got a degree yeah. in the University of Life. Yeah, exactly. And that stands to two PJ, you know, but I decided to go back then as a mature student at 28 ah. um, and CIT were excellent. What did you so, do? Uh, I went back and did business and ah. an awful lot of accounting is covered in that. So um, the next step now is uh, one more year and I'm a qualified accountant. So Get away! Yeah, in the yeah. Middle, hang on a second now. You had a child, in the, you, had, you had a lockdown baby in the middle of all of this. Like, you were well, one no, woman industry or what? I know. No, college was on pause while the baby was coming, <laughs> but it's uh, it's going to be picking back up again in September, hopefully. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I did. I had a baby in November, my third, a little girl, Charlotte. Charlotte, yeah. There yeah. was something. Str- I don't understand what a, a an encapsulation is. What was that? <laughs> It's all there, um, like, you're going to ask you about it. I know, well, I'll give them the plug anyway, definitely, if you want to. There's a, a company in Cork run by two gorgeous girls. It's called Placenta uh, TLC. And uh, it's something that's becoming way more common now, PJ. It wouldn't have been done when I had my first child at all. You would right. never have heard about it. And um, my last two babies, it's it's very, very well known. Essentially, your placenta is taken away, it's dried out, and it's put into these capsules that are just like vitamins. And you take them after you've had your baby and they help with your mood. They help with uh, the post-baby blues. They help with your milk supply if you're feeding yourself. They've got an absolute heap of benefits. Massive, massive benefits. Do you Um, hear this sound? That's my chin hitting the table. I never heard of any of this. Tell me more. I'd love to talk to these people. It wasn't done when I had Luke, and Luke is eight. It right. wasn't a thing. And then when I went in to have Evie, my second, who's four now, it was just starting to become something that was done. Right. And I would have struggled. I mean, as anyone after your first baby, you don't know what you're doing. You haven't a clue what you're doing. So I look back and I'm like, yeah, I would have struggled a bit after that. So I decided to do it on Evie and see how I got on. And, oh, my God, the difference was night and day. So well, this uh, is, the, the placenta is that part of you that feeds and nurtures baby. Mm-hmm. And then when baby's born, you use it to feed and nurture you. Yeah, exactly. Creaky. And it really does have a massive range of benefits. And I mean, I swore by it. I knew I was going to do it with Charlotte, having done it with Evie. Yeah. Um, and I'm still taking them now. I still take two a day. I still have loads. And the girls are lovely. You should definitely have them on PJ. Um, you've got This is going to sound like an awful daft question. How much, t- how, how many tablets do you get? What kind of a supply do you get out of one placenta? Or is that it a very... All, it all depends. It's like how long is a piece of ribbon. You just don't know going into it. I ended up getting 208 um, and I, like I said, I, I take two in the morning, just like I would a multivitamin. vitamin. Uh, listen, this turned into a far more fascinating conversation I <laughs> than I ever envisaged. I was more interested. I was interested in the in in the, in the money. Quickly on the tiles. Oh God! How okay. are the uneven tiles doing in the bathroom? Because that oh, tile, if you can find that tiler. No, oh, PJ, I lost so much sleep over those tiles. I can't even describe it. Um, 
there's a bathroom in the house that I, I wanted to freshen up and there was a loose tile on the floor that drove me nuts every time I stood on it because it wobbled. Yes. So I said I was going to fix it and I went, I waited till the kids were in bed and I went down and I jimmied up the tile and then I realised three around it were also loose. So mm-hmm. I said, no bother, you're here, let's do it anyway. So I jimmied those up and then cleaned all the area, cleaned off the old grout and when I went to put the tiles back in, you would think they would just slot in. Mm. I mean, you know, they would just slot back into place. One, two, but three, four, yeah. The most random magical tiles known to mankind, and they wouldn't. I lost hours. It was like <laughs> I don't know, Tetris down below in the bathroom trying to figure out where they went. But I eventually got them back in anyway, um, and then I regrouted them, and they look great. So we'll forget about the dodgy tiler who did the job. <laughs> Listen, it's, fa- it's fascinating. There's there's so much to this particular blog that people could spend all day looking at it and find something different for everybody. And trust me, men will be as fascinated by your blog as women will. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I've, I do have male followers as yeah. well. I mean, like a lot of you... Well, well your, 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 your hobby makes this odd surprise appearance too, doesn't he? Yeah, oh, people love Ben. Do they? How does he feel about being in it, though? They re- well, no, he's not, he's not really in it, but obviously he's in my day-to-day, yeah. you know, and he's around, so he ends up being on it. And for ages, I would just get messages from people saying, oh, he's so lovely, oh, he's so sweet. And then I think he started to get a bit more comfortable then. And, uh, I mean, over the weekend now, he made homemade pizzas and people were asking for his recipe for so long. So we documented that. And uh, really, people really do love him, to be fair. And he's a dot, so I'm glad. You're biased. I'm totally biased, completely biased. I backed the winner, PJ. What can I say, you know? It's great. It really is great fun. There's a lot in there. Yeah, a lot. But they're all regular life issues. You know what I mean? There's nothing so far out there. It's just normal everyday life, things that happen to people every single day, you yeah. know? Um, and I do, obviously, I'm I'm interested in financials, um, and that is the way my career will be heading. Right. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a good bit on that, but especially at the moment with people out on COVID, it's the perfect time to sit down and really look at your finances, figure out if you're going wrong, where you're going wrong, and try and get into the good habits now so that when life restarts, you know, you can you can join in. Yeah. So it's Chubby Mama Blogger on Chubby Mama on Inst- on Instagram. Chubby Mama, yeah. Chubby yeah. Mama, all right. Denise, it's been fascinating to chat. PJ, thanks a million. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Noel, on the subject of the Gardaí and vaccinating the Gardaí, Noel, and this is a very valid point, what about all of the shop staff that deal with thousands of customers every week for over a year now in confined conditions, not out in the open? Surely a much more vital cog to keep us going. Well, not more vital. No one on the front line is more vital than anybody else. But I can see your point. Absolutely see your point. But then again, the only thing about it is supermarket workers are not being asked to go into groups of young fellas in the lock and break them up and send them home. And they're not likely, I would sincerely hope they're not likely to get spat at, coughed on, or, or some idiot trying to infect them or threatening to infect them. But I do take your point, Noel, because our supermarket and supply chain workers have been heroes to a man and woman throughout this whole 12 months and continue to be. Ken says we have a totally incompetent government with a shambolic, shameful vaccination program costing Irish lives daily. Instead of asking us, the people, to do more, we must demand more from those in power. 
power. Well, the only thing to be said about the vaccination programme, such as it's been so far, is you can't roll out what you don't have. They will have more in the next few weeks. That's great. And you're reading that piece in the Business Post yesterday. Very, very confident from it that they will have an awful lot more to give out. Now, should they have bought more from elsewhere or nailed more down in terms of supplies from elsewhere? You can have that argument all day long and all night long. It's a bit like buying jars of strawberry jam. You, you want to put it in storage and keep it until you need it. But you know, that ship has sailed. We just need to deal with what we can get now. But the vaccination programme, we, we hope... Now, listen, if we're here in a month's time, this is, the, what, the 22nd of March. If we're here on the 22nd of April, and much worse, the 22nd of May, and things aren't an awful lot better, then there will have to be heads roll. No doubt that ever was. 1850-715-996, the number to call, the text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696, and the email opinion at 96fm.ie. Remind me to tell you, you love this, Remind me to tell you my latest IKEA adventure before the end of the program. Now, it's not so much an adventure as I'm going to have nightmares about what's about to face me from IKEA over the next couple of weeks. I, I might even do a blog on it, or I might even do an Instagram when it comes out, because this is going to be the greatest fun of all time. Um, my missus, my missus uh, woke me yesterday morning with the wonderful news that she'd managed to get something she'd been looking for for months. And I thought, oh, that's great. And then I saw the next bit. Tell you more before we pack it in. 1857-15996. If you missed anything in our first couple of hours this morning, by the way, the podcast will be up and running for you early to mid-afternoon. There's nothing better than a good book. There's nothing better than a good book based in Cork where we all know the story and we know the geography and we know the streets and we know the place names and a good a good book about the place you live fiction I'm talking about here now is wonderful and I then imagine being a writer who's written a couple of books and they've done okay thank you very much but then you write your third book with a new character that just came to you Two characters, actually, that came to you in a moment of inspiration. And now, your hot property, you've got a contract to write more books, and that character is going to be central, not just to those books, but possibly to TV, to TV as well. I speak of the character Lindsay Ryan and the author Michelle Dunn from Cove. Michelle, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. This really is the like romantic story of the of the person writing books doing doing grand thank you very much but then a moment of inspiration for the character and her dog Lindsay is a former soldier just like you where yes. did the inspiration come from well as you said i've written a few books now and they've been very very different to this actually it never occurred to me to write anything military to be honest and um, even though it was a huge experience in my own life and um, it just didn't occur to me to write anything and then one day I was literally scrolling through my phone brain numbing stuff all together and I just came across a clip about um, well it was a clip about service dogs and this particular guy he was a US Army veteran and to the naked eye now PJ he didn't look like he needed help with anything at all um, but it turned out anyway in this very short clip that he had PTSD 
and this gorgeous dog was his lifeline. Um, and just, it was about 30 seconds long. And by the end of it, I had Lindsay Ryan and her service dog, Frank, alive and well inside my head. They were fully formed. And I started writing about five minutes later. Yeah. So tell us about Lindsay. She's a, she's an, an army veteran who has new, moved on to a new career. She is. So it, it, the book starts actually three years after um, she, she, she basically there was, a, there was an explosion while she was serving with the UN in Syria. And this book starts three years later. So she's gone from the army. She has a new career now mentoring the troubled youth of Cork City. And so a lot of the book is actually based um, around the city centre, north side mostly, and and the centre itself. Um, So she's working with all these kids, but she's also engaged in a very private battle with PTSD. Um, And how she chooses to deal with it, she's cut herself off from her military family completely. Um, and she doesn't have any other family, so she's completely alone. And she hasn't told any new people in her life about her background or her PTSD. So she deals with it by throwing herself into the lives of the kids that she works with, um, which are very dodgy in themselves. And just by, by living a very, very high-risk lifestyle, she kind of puts herself in positions that she shouldn't among people that she shouldn't. And she's basically daring the world to do its worst. Yeah. Yeah. Now this is about this book is about Lindsay and her, and and a, and a stalker. Yes. So, um, due to the life that she's living, she she has attracted the attention of a stalker. But bearing in mind that she also has PTSD, so it, it's very hard for her to decipher which threats are real <sighs> and which are down to her PTSD. So there is an element of you know psychological thriller to to this book. So not only did it take off for you here. Mm. As they say, the angst love it now. I know. I do you know what when it launched here, and it took me. I mean, the publishing industry, PJ, is dog eat dog. It's so hard to get noticed. So it took a, it took a long time actually to find the right publisher, and I did in Bad Press Inc. They're in the UK, and they've been fantastic to work with. So when we launched here in June, I thought this is fantastic, dream come true. Now I need to get cracking on the next book because I signed a two book contract with them. Mm. And within about a month of the launch, maybe less, um, I got a, a message, an email from an, an American publisher called Polis Books saying that because Bad Press have a PR guy based in the US. And so I would have done a lot of blog tours and things like that over there. But it, it came to the attention of, of this American publisher and they contacted us and um, were asking about the US um, North American and audiobook rights. Um, now, I hadn't even considered the other side of the world because it is such an Irish story it's a very Cork story um, I, I hadn't even thought that the Americans would be interested at all but yeah they, they loved it so yeah they're going to launch it in uh, May the 4th of May it's launching over there Fabulous so, and, yeah, and you have another book coming out in the summertime have you? I, my next book is due out the end of the year. I have a deadline for June, and it's the first time in my life I've ever had a deadline to write a book. Um, but I, I'm, I'm flying with it now. It's and that'll exactly. be another Lindsay Ryan book, will it? Yes, yes. So Lindsay Ryan now is the start of a series because she's just nowhere near done. I love her so much. And is there is there television interest? There is. Um, yeah, so this all happened around the same time and I'm just blown away by it. So, yeah, there was uh, um, a, an Amer- or, sorry, a, a British production company um, got in touch asking about the rights and again, they, they love the character, they love the story 
and they're they're in talks at the moment with some some fairly big uh, TV series producers. Now, again, it's very early days, and you know, I I just I'm trying not to get my hopes up about this because it's so big. Hey, they came to you. They did. Yeah. You know, be interested. Be excited. They came to oh, you. God, I... In terms of sitting down to write and the process mm. of, of of being a writer and and knowing that, like you said, you have a deadline, you have a story, you have an idea. Has the whole lockdown thing made that harder or easier? As in, you've got plenty solitude. Harder, PJ. Um, I I actually thought at the start of the first lockdown, you know, when it was a bit of a novelty for us, I thought, geez, this is great. I'm going to get loads done here, but. I, I work in healthcare as well, so I, I actually have been working pretty much the whole way through. We had a little bit of time off, but not a lot. Um, and I have a three-year-old who's who's out of preschool as well. So there's that. But aside from that, I just find lockdown has kind of sapped my energy and it's sapped my creative juices a little bit. I find it harder to concentrate. Mm. Um, but I am. I've, I've just had to change how I do things. So I would have written the last kind of weekend. And actually, I, I did a lot of my writing on lunch breaks when I was working and things right. like that because I was never under any pressure. Um, and, and do you do it kind of... I remember um, one one author uh, that I read about who had a little place that they went every morning, every morning at the same time, and sat there for four hours. I know. That, that's Calvary Madhaven, isn't it? She goes for like six yeah. in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Four hours... I, uh, yeah. And and whatever comes out of that four hours, then uh, that you, would be my dream scenario. I'll really? be honest. Yes, I would love to be able to do that, but I just can't. I mean, as I say, I, I have a toddler, and she just doesn't believe in mammy sitting down doing anything. <laughs> um, so a lot of my work gets done. I, I carry my laptop everywhere with me. Right. Um, so I can sit in my car for an hour if I get the chance and write. I can write anywhere, and yeah. I can get into the zone very quickly. Oh, that's as well, good too. So. Yeah, so as soon as I start, the only time I will have a problem is if I go a few weeks without writing. For me, then it's like starting all over again and I have to refresh the whole thing in my head. And uh, you know the way you're in the middle of a writing process, then you've, mm-hmm. you're, you're halfway through a story and, 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 and something, um, right, that's where I need to take it. How quickly do you have to get to the laptop? Oh, no, but once, the, once an idea occurs to me, it's there, so it's fine. And it, it's always... Um, to be honest, like a lot of it comes to me either if I can get out for a run or something. A yeah. lot of, if I if I'm stuck at all, if I have a little bit of writer's block and I don't know what's happening next. Normally, a, a run clears my head. I go off by mm. myself, and something will just occur to me when I'm not thinking about it. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, when I'm at the laptop and I'm writing, a lot of the time I don't know what's going to happen next, and it just kind of lands on the page. It just it comes very naturally. Hey, this, I love that, it. That, that's a gift. Enjoy that. If it were a thing that Lindsay were to end up on the telly and that next mm. year or the year after, instead of watching that quite brilliant smother, also written by a Cork woman, uh, on telly on Saturday, on Sunday night, we w- imagine if we were watching Lindsay Ryan. Oh, my God. <laughs> Have you someone Wouldn't in mind who you'd something? like to play her? Oh, Lord. Um, do you know who I think would be good, actually, for an Irish, an Irish actress? Ruth Nega. I like, I, yeah, I can picture her brilliant. playing her. Or Sarah Green. Sarah, of course, our own. Yeah. Yeah. And she was fantastic see, in the Dublin Murders. She was brilliant. I would love to see a Cork woman playing. Deadly. Um, but they, they they did tell me that it could end up changing, uh, as in it could end up being based in the UK. Or I suppose it all depends on what. They're going to have their yeah, own ideas. I suppose authors will be always worried, like, what are they going to do with my baby? 
No, they did have a good chat with me about that because they wanted to see, I suppose, how precious I was going to be about <laughs> about everything. Um, but the only thing I'm really, really precious about is Lindsay. Yeah. I, I need her to stay as she is because I, I really hate the stereotypical female soldiers and, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes and I kind yeah. of avoided that with Lindsay. So that's the only thing I'm really precious about. I'm, I'm open well, stay to- precious with that because it's a great... You, you've, you've, you've hit a character... Yeah. And you need to own that character. I I would compare it actually. Um, are you familiar at all with Graham Masterton? Mm, no. All right. Look up the Katie Maguire books. Okay. There's, there's ten of them, and they're all based in Cork. Really? Yes. How did I miss that? I don't know, but I I've been blagging on about him for years here. He's written oh ten, God. eleven of them actually, all based in Cork on a central character called. Katie Maguire and I know having read and loved every word of those books I know how you feel about Lindsay yeah yeah. Well, I'm going to have to look those up do do alright we'll talk again Michelle PJ thanks so much take care bye 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 while nobody is watching is that book and you get it in any good bookstore when they're open or the online ones the local ones better Michelle Dunn 1850 I think somehow that's going to go places I've, I've, been, I've been on about these Graham Masterton books for years. The last one came out in hardback last summer. It's in paperback now. The Katie Maguire series. They're based, this guy's English, but he lived in Ireland for a few years. And he was inspired by, believe it or not, the court and crime pages in the paper. And he started writing stories based at Anglesey Street Garda Station about a team of detectives and Gardaí led by Katie Maguire. They're wonderful, wonderful, wonderful books and a strong, solid female character in the middle of it. And I think that's what, I think that's what Michelle is onto here with Lindsay. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. On Cork's 96 FM. Daniela, dog mom or cat mom? I'm a dog mom. I have three French bulldogs. Wow, like Lady wow. Gaga. Yes. Yeah. Did you already yeah. get them like yeah. that? <laughs> 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 Do you mind me asking, how much would you pay for a puppy for one of them? Oh, anything between two and a half friends to five and a half. Wow, wow. Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool. Exclusively Skoda in the city. Find your next car online at noeldc.com. Open 24-7. Courts 96 FM. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Courts 96 FM. Staying with vaccines. Uh, my mother-in-law is 91 and she's not got the vaccine yet. It's been put off three times. Now she's in hospital and they're saying she can't get it there either. Surely a hospital is the right place to give a vaccine. Loads of people are capable of giving it. Excellent storage facilities. Plus, you also have the danger of possible exposure, making it even more urgent. The programme is a shambles. That's very interesting, isn't it? It really would think... She's 91. Why did she miss the first batch for the over-85s? But even if you could answer that question, she's in hospital. Get, Get a needle in there for her. That's, that's, see, all these things that sound like a no-brainer. 
you get... Oh, it's not as simple as that. Uh, 1850-715-996. Frank would, in terms of vaccinating the guards, Frank would be, says it would be interesting to know how many guards have been out due to self-isolation, close contacts, etc., etc. It, it's worth thinking about. I'd say a fair few. I'd say a few hundred over the course of the year. I mean, at one point, if you look at it, at one point there was something like a hundred staff out of CUH self-isolating because of clo- being close contact. And I imagine, okay, in a hospital, obviously, it's more more likely to happen. But can you imagine guards being close contacts and all that? Like, if you, for example, arrested a guy, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it might be. So if you arrest a guy and he turns out to be COVID positive, well, the time you spent arresting him and getting him into, like, you are a close contact. So do you then have to go into isolation for two weeks? And if you turn positive, then all your buddies who are out with you that night on patrol, they're all close contacts. So it's an interesting question, Frank. Thanks. I, I mentioned Smother. They're another great story written by a Cork woman and now a fabulous television show. It is a great television show. Dearma is saying to me, brilliant. It has more twists and turns than a maze. Last night took the biscuit. It's getting bizarre, isn't it? Isn't it getting demented? And that's the best bit. And what I hope, because I didn't read the book, but what I hope is that they will resolve everything. Now, there's three episodes left. And you're at the point now where it's getting a bit daft. No, not daft. A bit crazy. It's got more layers than a than an industrial-sized lasagna. But by episode six, you hope it's all going to be resolved. And yes, it's sending you down strange roads and making you look at dark characters in different ways. That's great. I'm loving Smother, and it is an absolute visual joy with it being been, been filmed in, in County Clare. Brilliant, gorgeous. Uh, the missus and myself have decided we are going there for a weekend when we can, just when we're allowed, stop it, don't start, to see those views. Smother's been a massive success, delighted with it. 1850 715 We touched on this when it was happening, and it's been quite... Uh, successful for them. It's a project that aims to provide essential items for victims of domestic abuse and there's been huge support for it, which is great to see. It's called Critic Call and Dr. Julie Connolly is manager of the Volunteer Centre behind it. Julie, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? Good. Remind listeners again what Critic Call is, where it came from. Okay, so Critic Call Cork it's an initiative that emerged in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Last year, the volume of people, I think I was speaking to you about it, that registered, hoping to support people um, during the lockdowns. And we were trying to come up with something to engage volunteers, but also to support kind of um, people experiencing difficulties as a result of the, the lockdowns. And they started the project in Dublin, Critical Dublin. We have to give a shout out to our colleagues up there. And uh, we decided to take it up in Cork. And what we do is we engage people. So it's it's an opportunity for people to, to respond realistically and very practically to COVID-19 and to support people who are experiencing domestic abuse. 
And so what we ask people to do is to take a bit of time um, and to maybe go as they're getting their groceries or as they're in a shop or, or whatever is open, I suppose, at the moment, yeah. and to put something aside for people who are experiencing domestic abuse. So what we're asking people to donate is things like sanitary products, toiletries, bedding, um, baby clothes, grocery vouchers are huge because they kind of domestic abuse really is about taking away someone's power and, and mm. those vouchers are so empowering because it gives people a bit of choice. Um, phone credit is another thing that's huge. Remember if someone's experiencing coercive control, like they literally don't even have the ability to to make a call for help. So having, you know, phone credit in their pocket in the case of an emergency is huge. So individuals are doing it and, and workplaces are doing it. The response has been unbelievable. We started the project last September mm. and uh, yeah, so we've gone up and down and over and out between all the different lockdowns and the people of Cork have still come out within their 5K Um they have come out in support of the project. They've had collections and donations. Christmas, we couldn't even walk in the building. There was so much stuff around the place. Isn't that great to hear? That great it's spirit. Amazing, yeah. And it's been great for us. So we have a social work student helping us coordinate the project, and we have a transition year student as well. So it's you know, um, so it's the support of UCC, and they've been fantastic. And we've had some corporate donations, which have really helped us literally pay the phone bills. You know, yeah, which is um, all important. So, I think you have another yeah, fundraiser or another donation day coming up around Easter time. Have do. you? We have so we were initially it was going to be Good Friday, but we're hoping the restrictions will be eased a little bit on the fifth of April. So we've got a donation day scheduled for the ninth of April, okay. and we have three options. So we have a city centre donation point, we have a donation point in North Cork, which has been supported by Avenue Blackwater, and we have a donation point in East Cork, which has been sponsored by SeaCat um, Partnership. So there's a lot of different organisations coming together, and there are six domestic abuse services um, located in Cork um, and they are all absolutely amazing the work that they're doing so anything that you donate will only go to the services based right. in Cork right. so um, I suppose that's a key thing because what you, what you give in Cork support. stays yeah, in Cork great in Cork. Well, yeah. well, well when you great. do finalise what you're doing let us know yes. and, and we'll, yeah, we'll, so we'll, let, we'll, tell, mean, we'll tell it to the mountains as it were Absolutely. So, like, people can go onto our uh, website. It's volunteercork.ie and it's forward slash critical, C-R-I-T-I-C-A-L-L. And look, I suppose because of COVID, we have to be kind of um, really well organised. So the date is set and there's there's kind of three steps, really. You go onto our website. If you're not already registered with us as a volunteer, we need you to register. We need to contact you for... Um, contact tracing just in case, right? So register step two is pick a donation location. Uh, so city centre, North Cork or East Cork and you'll be given a, a time slot to donate. And then step three is physically come out and drop the stuff to us. Now right. workplaces as well have posters, vouchers and things to us as well if they've um, done little workplace collections or okay. school collection or, you know, whatever okay. works. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll help um, in, in any way we can with that that plan that you yeah. have for for early, for early April. Julie, great talking to you and uh, well done on the work of Critical and who it's helping, so important and what it's doing at this 
difficult time for everybody. We've talked so much about domestic abuse during lockdown and how much harder it is to get away from a, a difficult situation. So that's great work being done. Thank you for that. 1850-715-996. Right, what's the, what's the IKEA story, I, I hear you ask? It's, it's, it's funny. Um, first of all, as I mentioned here on the programme, we, we did a little bit of work on Coogan Towers last year. Um, we put on a new bedroom for the Umfla onto a flat roof that we had converted the flat roof and put on a new bedroom for him and all that. And that's all grand. It's great. Um, he, he loves it. But he had his eye on a wardrobe. Uh, we were in Ikea last summer. Um, again, when we could travel, we went to Ikea in Dublin and uh, that's four hours of my life I'm never getting back. But at the same time, he... I enjoyed it, but God, it was long. He spotted this wardrobe that he wanted. And he says, can I have that for my new room? Well, yeah, sure. Grand wasn't particularly expensive. Grand wardrobe, there'd be plenty of space, all his bits and pieces. would. Yeah, we can, we can do that for you. And anyway, so the bedroom got done and grand. And then we went on to Ikea, as you do, tick, 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 tick. Not a thing to be had. Supply chain, lads, is gone to the dogs completely. You can't get anything. You can't get carpet, you can't get furniture, you can't get nothing. Anyway, eventually, yesterday morning, herself awoke the house with a cheer. I got it! I got it! So she got it. She got it. She into the IKEA website. Like, the woman will go into the IKEA website at 7 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Right? That's how devoted she is to getting this thing for himself. So she got it. Right? Delighted with life. Paid it off with the credit card. And then she got a delivery date, which is grand. It comes in 24 boxes. 24 boxes. Like, it's only six foot wide. 24 boxes. I don't know where to start. Joe Byrne from Joseph's Hair Salon. Glasheen, he's been doing this for years and he continues to do it. Uh, he is collecting Easter eggs again. What he does, Joe collects Easter eggs for children who wouldn't normally get an Easter egg kids in homeless accommodation, kids in B&Bs, kids being looked after with penny dinners and all that. He collects them at the salon and he will be there today from four to five. If you want to drop off any Easter eggs for the homeless or the poor, uh, Joe's been doing this for years, and it's just one of the reasons why we, we love the man to bits. Um, and the little salon, if you were ever out there, the little salon in in Glasheen, like he literally does be floor to ceiling with Easter eggs. He does it with selection boxes as well at Christmas. But he'll be there in the salon today, opposite Flannery's. You'll see Joseph's hair salon. And he'd be there between four and five today if you want to drop them off. 1850-715-996. To beat the boredom and the fatigue and the tiredness of lockdown and trying to find something else to watch on Netflix. There are courses to be had and things to be done online that'll just pass an hour, pass a bit of time. And you might learn something and you might learn a new skill. Um, and you, you never know, you might want to develop a new, whole new 
facet to your education. Dr. Michael Loftus is Vice President for External Affairs at MTU. Michael, good morning to you. Morning, TJ. Thanks very much for having me on your uh, programme. Delighted. MTU, of course, is what we used to know as CIT and the merger now with, with, with um, Tralee. So we're getting used to the new name. Uh, thanks, TJ. It's great. It's going uh, very well so far. Fantastic reaction to uh, MTU. People in Cork are talking about the Twin University City and people in Kerry are talking about the Kerry University. So positive and outfronts. So what have you got for people? As I said, like this, it's been an opportunity to find something new that you might never have realised you were interested in. And you've got a bunch of courses. How is it happening? How has it been done? Yeah, so what we decided to do, I suppose, uh, 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 just on courses, uh, PJ, we, we, we decided actually to stay away from courses with this. We simply decided that uh, people were suffering from lockdown fatigue. Uh, initially, our thoughts were around our students. Was there something we could do on a regular basis just to reach out? Maybe give them the opportunity to try something during this period of time that they would never have considered otherwise. So we prepared a series of events every Monday evening, 7 o'clock, 45 minutes or an hour. That's, that's about the limit of it. First one is on this evening at 7 p.m. It'll take people through how to prepare a great meal. We have uh, events coming up on technology, yoga, Pilates, entrepreneurship, exploring new technologies. And the whole idea is tune in for an hour on the MTU website, 7 p.m. over a 10-week uh, period. Pick and choose the events of interest to yourself. And it might well be the case that there's something something there uh, for you. The Initial one tonight uh, focuses on, on the great meal. So if you're interested in how to prepare roast cod wrapped in streaky bacon with potato, tomato, saffron broth, followed by vanilla and lemon yogurt mousse tonight is for you, PJ. In addition, uh, there's guidance tonight on how to make non-alcoholic cocktails. So the so, idea is really, like you said, not so much courses as just something that doesn't cost them too much headspace that it's a little bit different and might be interested and spur them on. It's interesting, it's practical, it's just a change. Go and try something. Try something that you wouldn't have tried yeah. during the, the ordinary run of events. Uh, so absolutely no course, no exam, no assessment. It really is just MTU putting on a series of events for people to go and explore some new opportunities. You've got one on space we have a, a, an interesting one on space. Space is, is developing at an incredible rate. You might have seen recently some of the uh, developments with uh, SpaceX and so on and so mm. forth that people followed with interest. Uh, in addition, we're engaged with another uh, movement across the entire Southwest called STEM Southwest. And we put on a, a big expo recently, one of the most heavily um, um, uh, interesting events and seriously interesting events that people tuned into was one about space. New, new space is, is a term that's now been used to talk about an emerging industry sector. In essence, there are thousands and thousands of small satellites being launched. They're all around the planet. There's scientific exploration going all the way from space rovers, lunar villages, satellites for the benefit of society, environmental monitoring. And you know what? We've got one of our events is going to talk about all of that. In addition, if you walk outside your house on a starry night and you look to the skies, you can see planets, you can see the space Which, which we're all planets. doing more because, you know, we've got more time to stare into space as, as it were. Are you involved? Like, is there a charge for this? Or do you have to be a student to do it? 
absolutely free. It's going to be broadcast free from mtu.ie forward slash succeeding together. So available to the world, uh, no charge. Uh, really designed for everybody, um, delivered in a way where the language is accessible. This is about including people and bringing people into the conversation as distinct from setting it up as as an event that excludes people. So it's it's an MTU contribution for all. That's what it is. Right. And like, is there a name to it or was it just something you thought would be nice to do? As in, have you thought, well, maybe maybe these people might come on board after lockdown, have more interest in these things and maybe take an actual course? Well, look, that's a possibility, but it's not the primary aim. Right. What we've, the name we've put on the series is Succeeding Together. And it's about, it's about us all as a community, succeeding right. together through a time of challenge and succeeding together in our view. Well, we are locked down. We are, our movement is restricted. What activities can we do while we're at home that might open up our right. horizons for future hobbies? Maybe for future courses, maybe for future careers, but that's that's a, a down the road conversation. Yeah. The primary aim at the moment is just to give people Good. something different to do and to look forward to. Well, while I have you there, Michael, and of course, third level, like every other element of society, is is still locked down. I mean, we're coming up to exam time and graduation time. Is it going to be all online again, or is there a plan, or can people figure out what to do day to day? Yeah, the guidance that's coming out, and literally the guidance is changing uh, week on week, uh, PJ. The guidance that's coming out at this point in time indicates that the most essential and critical activities, uh, provided we're in compliance with the relevant uh, health and safety guidelines and so on and so forth, that we will we will uh, gradually increase those now for people who are at the point of graduating or whose courses demand that the activities have to be practical and for which there's no other alternative. But the vast, vast majority of activities will remain online mm. over coming months because that's the safest way to proceed for all okay. concerned. Okay, now, obviously we'll all find out more uh, up to and including the 5th of, of April when we hear the next stage. Thanks very much, Michael. Good luck with those. They look like fun. That's Michael Loftus, Vice President for External Affairs at MTU, our new Monster Technical University and they have a, a whole set of those ones. They've got mocktails and cocktails and space and opportunity for all, coding at home, loads, loads more. mtu.ie and you'll find all the stuff there. And it's free and you don't need to be a student. There ain't much free in life these days. 1850-715-996. I'm amazed some people have discussed, I started a conversation about Smother on RTE on Sunday nights. I think the biggest problem with it actually is that you can only watch one episode at a time because it's the kind of show that you'd open up on Netflix or Amazon and you just whick through it in a weekend. Can't do that with this. You get the episode on a Sunday, it's on the player. Do you know, you have to wait till the next week. That's old, that's like back to old fashioned watching television. And it's great. And yes, it's convoluted. And yes, there's many, many, many different layers to it. And yes, your man has a strange accent. So he does. Very strange accent. But it's just brilliant. And it's so beautifully filmed. There's a place, I never knew what it was. And it turned up in episode two. And I am getting into the car when we're allowed, when we're let. We're getting into the car to go to a place called Ennis Diamond, where I've never been in my life to a place called Ennis, Ennis Diamond, just to see a waterfall called the Cascades. 
And then we're going to head out, hopefully, out to the burn to try to find that house. That's a genuine house out there where, oh, ah, man, it's just such a beautifully, beautifully filmed television show. The scenery is awesome. And that's, that's our country. Isn't it brilliant? Now, I watched series one and some of series two and then kind of pulled away from Line of Duty. To Line of Duty fans, can I go straight into series six now or should I go back and start watching them again? Because there's loads of great telly there. I'd appreciate your advice on that. Um, On Ikea and my adventures or my forthcoming adventures with the 24-piece wardrobe, 24-box wardrobe, Finn says you'll be grand. The front room, the boys' room, and our room is all IKEA. Beds, couch, the lot. It's therapeutic. Yeah, fine, Finn. I trust you when I'm in the middle of all of that. Yeah, this program tonight, it's the latest episode of Mohrev, My Tribe, on RT1 Half 7 tonight. It examines dance music and features sweat. Sweat dance, which was the big night in Henry's. Uh, going back in the day, it was just a massive thing. I was there at the start of it all when Greg and Shane moved in with this whole new night, this whole new night based purely on a dance beat, on a house beat. And I saw it turn from an oddity into a phenomenon over a period of a couple of years. And it was mega. And it's celebrated and marked tonight in the latest episode of Mohrev, which is on RTE 1 at half past seven. Now, those of us who knew Henry's will watch it with a very critical eye. But here's hoping it does what it should do, which is pay due credit to what was a magnificent institution, as it were. And to play us out today, Fergal Barry has tied together four tunes that he reckons have to be in this programme tonight. Programme today, edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by the aforementioned Fergal Barry. And we'll see you tomorrow, just after nine. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.